0: Well good morning, it's, uh, it's so good to be with you and uh, my, my name is Michael, I'm the lead pastor here at Park Church uh, and I want to give a, a, just a, a heartfelt welcome to everyone here. Uh, whether you're a member, a friend, uh, a welcome guest, I'm so glad you're here this morning. Uh, and it was so fun last week to get to celebrate with everyone who was here. Uh, Last week represented a very significant time in in the life of this church, Uh, the ending of one chapter and the beginning of a new and exciting chapter. And I feel privileged to get to be a part of this new chapter and and so excited about what God has in store. Uh, This morning, we're, we're beginning a new series, and we're going to be walking through a very specific prayer. Uh, th- but this, this series and talk this talking we're going to be doing about prayer on Sunday mornings really uh, is one piece, it represents just one piece of, of a much larger effort to uh, equip and encourage one another to be praying, to be praying in the months to come. I'm, I'm so convinced that in this unique season of life in which we find ourselves as a church, Prayer is so important and must be the foundation upon which we begin to build whatever is that's next for us. And so we're going to be doing some things with prayer in our community groups. If, if you follow Park on uh, any of our social media platforms, be, be looking. Uh, you might be seeing a video pretty soon. Um, but I want to begin this morning, though, talking about a mountain. Uh, And this mountain is called Camelback Mountain and it's in Phoenix, Arizona. And I I lived in Phoenix, there we go, got one shout out. I I lived in Phoenix for uh, almost 10 years and it's hard for me to to call this a mountain because I'm from Washington State and I know what mountains look like. This is more like a couple rocks pushed together. But all that being said, uh, this is Camelback Mountain. And Camelback Mountain is special. It's probably the most popular hiking spot for anyone who lives in the Phoenix Valley. It's also special because it was either my second or third date with my wife. Uh, She's not here in the first service, I have to clarify that, second or third. Um, But it's a phenomenal hiking spot and a lot of people flock to this, not so much during the summers when it's about 120, but the other nine to 10 months of the year. And, and it's, it's awesome because you get to this mountain and the very beginning of it is this very leisurely, paved, beautiful path. And so you get, you get walking and you're like, oh man, this is, this is nice. And then, and then at the very end of the, of the path, and once you get to the very top, you have this incredible panoramic 360 view of the entire Phoenix Valley. The middle, However, part of this hike is, uh, is rigorous, to say the least. It's rocky, it's steep, and there's a point at which, when in the very beginning, when you're walking down this just kind of smooth paved path, you turn a corner, and then you see this, what looks like a sheer, jagged rock face, this steep incline. And you think, oh, this isn't going to be the jog and the park that I thought it was going to be. But one of the reasons why I love Camelback Mountain is because just as you make this turn to see the challenge that lies ahead, you get this gift. Because whoever designed this trail put this metal handrail right at the beginning of this jagged incline. Just this long metal handrail that, that both points you in the direction you need to go, but also helps you. Begin to climb. For the next month or so, uh, we are going to be working through a passage of scripture that I imagine most, 99% of us in here, have heard at one point. I also bet many, maybe not most, but many of the people in this room have recited it. And I know for a fact some of us have this memorized. Like, even even if you know nothing about the Bible, you have heard this prayer at some point. It's famously called the Lord's Prayer because it was a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray uh, during the famous Sermon on the Mount. What in the world does this have to do with a handrail on Camelback Mountain? It's a great question. Everything. Everything. Because I want to suggest this morning that this prayer is kind of like that handrail on Camelback Mountain. Because, again, clearly whoever designed the trail knew that hikers would need some help at this point. That hikers would need a little bit of direction, some support. Similarly, I I think Jesus, in his wisdom, knew that when it comes to prayer, we would need some help. Because prayer, prayer can be an intimidating thing, right? It's, it's on the one hand the easiest thing in the world, talking to God. My, my kids do it every day, and, and yet at the exact same time, what do you say to someone who knows everything? What do you say to someone who sees everything, including those dark corners of my heart that I, I don't even like to look at. Like, what what do you say? There are times when we need help when it comes to prayer. When we're tired, when we don't have the words, and we just need some direction. And so Jesus gives us this gift. Uh, Richard Foster, in his famous book on prayer, any guesses as to what it's called? Prayer. Right? He's not going to win the award for the most creative title. Uh, he should win some awards, though, because this is going to become a classic. This is what he says He says, The Lord's Prayer is lifted up to God in every conceivable setting. It rises from the altars of the great cathedrals and from the obscure shanties in unknown places. It is spoken by both children and kings. It is prayed at weddings and deathbeds alike. The rich and the poor, the intelligent and the illiterate, the simple and the wise all speak forth this prayer. My hope as we take the next month or so and begin to slowly work through this prayer together is is not simply that you would walk away being able to recite this prayer from memory. Although that would be a A good thing. My hope is is not simply that you would walk away with new information. My hope is that we as a church family would be would be drawn closer to God. That we would in some way be aided up the mountain, and that as a result, God will have in some way moved within our hearts so that we might know Him better. And And love him more. This this is my hope amidst this series. The the text that we're going to read, the prayer itself, comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 9 through 12. And and I'd like to begin every sermon by reading this text. And and as I do read it, I want to invite you in your own hearts to not simply just listen to the words, but, but to pray along as I read this. And, and also, I'd like to end every sermon during this series by inviting everyone to stand and to recite this prayer, to pray this prayer together. Matthew 5, verses 9 through 12. This is God's word for God's world. Jesus says, This then God's Word, for God's world. Would you continue in prayer with me? Father, we pause now and I want to thank you for the gift of your Word, for the gift of your Son, Jesus, who wants to teach us even this morning, not just so that we would have more information, but so that we would become different people, people who know and love you, people who know and love one another, and people who move toward the world in love. Uh, Don't let us leave unchanged this morning. We love you too, Father, and we pray in your Son's name and by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Four words. Four simple words. That's, That's really what I would like to draw our attention to this morning. The first four words... In this prayer, our Father in heaven. These four words are simple and profound at the same time. Because they tell us who God is. They tell us who this, this one is to whom we pray. And by inference, therefore, they tell us who we are. So who is God? I think about this for a minute. Who is God? The one to whom we pray. Well, according to Jesus, God is our Father. He's our Father. Now, the idea of God as Father, envisioning God as a a father type, is not new to Jesus. In fact, we see this theme if you walk through the biblical story over and over again. In Exodus 4, God is referred to as a father. In the book of Isaiah, chapters 63 and 64, there there are places in the Bible, often, where God is referred to as father. And so this idea wasn't new to Jesus, and yet it was central to him. You can't read much of Jesus without hearing the word father. Father. Like why was it that this idea was so important to Jesus? What do we learn about God by calling him Father? Well, perhaps before discussing what we learn about God by calling him Father, we should clarify just a couple things. Perhaps we should first talk about what it doesn't mean when we refer to God as Father. Calling God Father doesn't mean that God is male. Let me say that again. Calling God Father doesn't mean that God is male. It can be tempting and can be a very easy tendency when you read the Bible because most of the metaphors, most of the language that's used in the Bible to describe God is masculine. It's male. And so it's it's a common just assumption that's easy to make that God must for must therefore be male, but, but when Jesus invites us to call God Father, it, it doesn't mean that he's in some sense male as opposed to female. And the reason why we know this is because of the very beginning of the Bible, in chapter one, we have this beautiful scene of creation where there's this, this crescendo of God creating, speaking and creating, speaking and creating, until he gets to the apex of his creation. And who is at the apex of his creation? Us. And in this revolutionary text, which it's easy to underappreciate for us today, but in the ancient Near East, was radical. This is what we read. We read that God made, created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. He did not just create male in his image, much to the chagrin of many largely male Bible interpreters over the past, uh, last 2,000 years. It's, It's not just that men uniquely reflect the beauty and the character of God. No, God created both men and women in His image, which means that both men and women uniquely, beautifully, and mysteriously reflect the character and beauty of God to the world around. Not men more than women, but both equally. This This was radical in the ancient world and is easy to even forget today. But it's so important. You see, God is the creator. And so he transcends the created order, part of which includes male and female. And so when we refer to God as Father, what we don't mean is that he in some way is is male as opposed to female, as if men bore God's image more faithfully. No, that's not the case. Jesus also, in John chapter four, refers to God as spirit, getting at this same idea. He cannot be confined to the categories of his creation because he is the creator. Calling God father doesn't mean that he's male. But, But there's one more very important thing we have to clarify if we're going to refer to God as father, And it's this, calling God Father doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that, that we should therefore project our own thoughts and experiences with our fathers, our earthly fathers, onto God. In other words, to call God Father does not mean that he is exactly like the fathers that we've all individually had. And this can be a problem when we do this. This can be a problem because, because let's be honest, for, for some of us, for some of you, when, when you think of your dad, you think of someone who was maybe distant, maybe absent, maybe you didn't even grow up with a dad in the home, and so, so when you hear the word father, you immediately think of someone who just wasn't around, maybe even non-existent. Perhaps when you think of the word father, when you hear that, uh, your experience is a little different. Maybe your father was around physically, but, but he sure wasn't around emotionally. And so when you hear the word father, you think of someone who's, yeah, there, but quite honestly, not all that interested in my life. Not all that available. Not all that accessible. And... Perhaps for some, I know this is the case for a good friend of mine, who when, when she thinks of the word Father, something much darker comes to mind, much more sinister. And, and when we hear this word Father, and when we are invited to think of God as a Father, it does not mean that all of the things that come to your mind or your heart when you think of your relationship with your Father can be projected onto God. So we have to be careful and sensitive about this. See, God is not exactly like the Father that you had or that I had. God is like the Father that we all long for. God is like how every father in this world should be. It's interesting. Jesus. Right before, he tells his disciples, this then is how you should pray. He first tells them how not to pray. He's such a good teacher, using contrast. Don't don't do it like this, do it like this. And and this is one of the two negative examples of prayer that he gives, is of the pagans. And he looks around at the world and he he says, "Don't, don't pray like the pagans. You see how, how pagans prayed, and this was the case whether it be in ancient Mesopotamia or, or Greece or in Jesus' day, the greater Roman Greco-Roman Empire. The pagans prayed to the gods. They had a pantheon of gods. And, and the gods in the ancient world were much like you and I, much like human beings. They were capricious. They were fickle. They were hard-headed. They weren't always kind or benevolent or generous. They were self-centered. They got into squabbles. And so it wasn't a given when you asked the gods to provide something for you that they had your best interest in mind. And so what they would do if you, let's say, needed a good crop for the year, or, or if you really wanted a child, or good health. You, you would go to the local temple, of whatever local deity the people in your, in your tribe worshipped, and you would participate in a number of rituals. You would make sacrifices, and you would recite prayers. And and the longer your prayers, the more complicated, the more verbose and wordy, the more likely it would be that maybe, just maybe you you could twist the God's arms into giving you what you wanted. But in stark contrast, Jesus, he says, guys, don't pray like that. Because that's not what God is like. God's like a good dad. He loves you. He wants good for you. Like, do you this morning? Do you believe that God wants you to flourish? Do you believe that God wants you to be well? Now, now his vision of what flourishing life looks like might be a little bit different than you depending on your expectations, but do you you believe that this is who God is? He is our Father. Jesus explains this more fully just a couple chapters later in the Gospel of of Matthew at the end of his Sermon on the Mount. And and when Jesus, by the way, says the word Father, he's, he's likely speaking in his mother tongue which is Aramaic. And the Aramaic word for father was Abba. A very important word, and and this word Abba was the equivalent of the English word today that we use when we say daddy. It was the personal, intimate, relational name that children would use to address their fathers. And so in chapter seven of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, he says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, (laughs) you gotta love Jesus, he just throws that zinger in there. If, If you, who are evil, right, who are fallen and sinful, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him, God is like a good dad. It's really easy to have different ideas about God than this. Uh, Several years ago, I served in an apartment ministry in Phoenix, and and one Saturday morning, I, I found myself with a group of Jesus followers in the clubhouse of an apartment complex uh, I didn't live there, but, but some of the people on this team did, and, and really our only goal was to just love our neighbors. We followed Jesus. He says, love your neighbors, so we wanted to love our neighbors. And so there I am this Saturday morning just flipping pancakes in this random apartment community clubhouse. And at one point, a gentleman, a resident in the apartment community, walks up and gets a pancake, and we start talking. And, and this is one of those guys who I, I think he, he probably was in his mid-50s. Although, it, it, he looked like he was in his mid-80s. Like, you, you know, there are some people, once you start talking to them, you, you realize and get this sense of, okay, this guy, is, he's been through a lot. He's seen a lot. He's experienced a lot. And it made me want to know his story. So I started to ask him questions, and pretty soon he... He learned that I was a pastoral intern in a local church, going to seminary, and eventually wanted to become a pastor. And so in the context of that conversation, I said, hey, you know, our our church meets right down the street. Every Sunday morning at 10 a.m., you obviously like food, uh, and we have a lot of good food every Sunday morning, it's pretty casual, I would love it if you joined us. And the second I said that, he laughed. And he kind of looked down and he said, You know, Michael, I'm pretty sure if I stepped foot into your church, I'd get struck by lightning. And he said it with a chuckle, but he wasn't joking. See, what this man didn't realize is, is that he was doing theology in that moment, and it was bad theology. See, he had a particular idea of what God is like. He thought God was this distant, angry deity, just sitting around waiting, waiting for him to have the audacity to come near so that God could then strike him. Friends, when we look at Jesus, we see that this is not at all what God is like. God is not waiting for you to come near so he can zap you. He's waiting for you to come near so he can embrace you, so he can forgive you, so he can welcome you home. This is what God is like, our father. God is like a good dad. Do you believe that this morning? And so we see in these first two words that God is personal. We see that God is Radically personal. But as we continue, we see that God is not only personal, he is powerful. Because he's not only our Father, he is our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Now the the Greek word for heaven here is pronounced tois uranois." Yes, you will be quizzed on this later. Uh, But the point is that this word is actually plural. So translated literally, it would be the heavens, our Father in the heavens. It could also be translated as the sky. It's what you see when you look up. And the idea by locating God in some sense in the heavens or up is not spatial. It's not a spatial idea. It's not that God physically is up there, like hiding behind the moon, just peeking out below, hey, everyone. That's not the idea of saying that God is our Father in heaven. The idea has much more to do with God's sovereignty, with his power, with the vantage point from which he sees and runs all creation. You see, heaven, or the heavens, throughout the biblical story, conveys this idea that that God, who dwells in heaven, is running the world. Heaven is the the executive command center of the created order. And God, as the one who dwells in heaven, sees all things, knows all things, sustains all things, and in some way holds all things. In, In the book of Psalm... Chapter 33, we we see this described beautifully. King David puts it this way. He says, From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. You see, the point is that God is transcendent. He is powerful. He is sovereign. He is glorious. He is so far beyond our comprehension. We we can't pin him down. We can't subject him to the scientific method. The scientific method is very helpful for discovering and learning things within creation. But we can't learn about the creator through the scientific method. If, If we want to know God, we we actually have to enter into a relationship with him. We have to get to know him much more like the way that I got to know my wife. I spent time with her. I got to know her story, figured out what mattered to her. It's, it's a relationship into which we are invited. You see, in these, in these four very simple yet profound words, Jesus teaches us that God is is both personal and he's powerful. He is our Father in heaven. And so this prayer tells us who God is, which in turn then tells us, by inference, who we are. Because think about it, if God is our Father in heaven... What does that make us? His kids on earth. Listen, the the question is not whether or not you are a child of God. The question is whether or not you've come home. And this morning, we have a whole mix of people here. Some of you are here this morning, and you you know you are a child of God. You've, You've given your life to Jesus. You're following Him. You've experienced and encountered the grace and forgiveness of God, and this is why you sing this morning. Some of you are a child of God, and you know it, and yet there's a sense in which you feel estranged from the family. And He's inviting you back. And some of you have never heard any of this before. The idea of God being like a, a loving Father who wants to adopt you into his family, and he's inviting you to come and to surrender everything. Wherever you find yourself this morning, will you, will you in some way respond to him? There's a story about the son of a Roman emperor that I absolutely love, and, and it, it goes like this. There was once a son of a Roman emperor uh, and I don't remember which emperor this was, but that's immaterial to the story. What I do remember is that this son loved his dad. He loved his dad. And, and apparently being a Roman emperor meant going away on a lot of business trips. Uh, and every time this kid's dad went off on another business trip, usually that meant a military campaign, uh, he missed his dad like crazy. And there was one particular war that seemed to just drag on so long, months and months and months. And finally, as was often the case after Rome won this particular war, the emperor returned. And, and as was the custom, after a massive military victory, there was, there was a huge parade. Huge parade. And, and at the very end of the parade was the emperor. Right? And, and all the parade was coming toward the palace where this boy and his family and the household of Caesar were waiting. And the problem is this boy did not want to wait for the whole parade to come down the street. Like, he, he wanted to see his dad. And so at just the right moment when the aide, who charged with his care, looked away, he broke off. And he just dove headfirst in, into this crowd. And he started working his way up one of the sides of Main Street, right? He's ducking and weaving and bobbing and going between legs. He could not wait to see his dad. And so he's working his way down farther and farther to the end of the parade until finally he gets to a point where he looks and he sees his dad. And so he starts working his way to the street, and just as he breaks off onto the street, a low-ranking Roman official grabs this boy Pulls him back into the crowd and says, Hey, you can't can't just run up to him. Like, who do you think you are? And do you even know who this is? This is the emperor. You can't do that. To which the boy, without missing a beat, looks at this low ranking Roman official and he says, He may be your emperor, but he's my dad. I love this story, because this boy not only knew who he was, he knew whose he was. Do you know whose you are this morning? Our Father in heaven. See, God is like a good dad. And he wants you and his family. I'd like to end this morning by inviting everyone to stand so we together can pray this prayer. And, and if, you've, if you've had any experience praying this prayer, there's a good chance this will be a version that is different than what you're familiar with. And that's okay. But, but I want to invite you as we pray to not just let this be a rote religious ritual, but but to let this be a genuine prayer. Would you join me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.